This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz. Here are your hosts, Zach Harper and Andy Larson, on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops Show, ESPN 700. Ben Anderson and Andy Larson. Andy Larson is the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com, the True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. Yes, sir. Uh, and the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. You can find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. If you have questions, we always like to open the show with questions. And in fact, we've got two already. Tweet so. at Andy at Andy B. Larson. Uh, you can also tweet at me, Ben Anderson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. Yeah. Ben's Hoops on Twitter. I also contribute at KSL.com. I'm on this radio station. Frequently. Semi, yeah, semi-weekly. Yeah. It's, it's a couple basically, times a month. Yeah. You're, you're like the sixth man of ESPN 700. Is that I'm, fair to say? Uh, Jamal Murray. Of uh, ESPN, yes, seven hundred. Great. I mean, Jamal Murray, or is Jamal Murray starting? No, now? I'm thinking Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford. Yeah. Okay. I was curious. I mean, <laughs> I'd rather be Jamal Murray. Maybe. He's a better basketball player. Yes. Uh, Jamal Crawford has not had a bad career though. Three Six Man of the, the Year awards. Good You're thing not or bad past thing? Your prime, like Jamal Crawford. Good thing or bad thing? Winning three Six Man of the Year Good awards. Good thing. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I think that's a role, right? It's like winning the NIT every year. It's okay. You were almost in the the one, <laughs> almost in the part that matters. Sure. But like some guys. Like, Jamal Crawford's body type, I don't know, is ever going to be, like, a great defender. It's kind of like with Rodney Hood, right? Rodney Hood might top out as, like, best case of six men. Better career, Jamal Crawford or Jamal Murray? Ooh. Uh, it's th- really hard to play 20 years. Right. And win three significant year-end awards. Probably th- Jamal Crawford. Yeah. I think if, if Jamal Murray had Jamal Crawford's career, it'd be somewhat disappointing, and yet you'd have to be happy. From like a realistic point of view. You know what I mean? His ceiling is higher than Jamal Crawford. But yes. then again, when Absolutely. I think Jamal a, Crawford player, came right. into the league, he had a high ceiling too. Yeah. And has been a very nice player. Neither here nor there. <laughs> Just totally <laughs> off topic. Uh, all right. We've got some questions. You can also give us a call. 877-353-0700. 877-353-0700. Jenny will pick up the phone if you call and then wire you into us. Yeah. So we'd love to talk to you. Uh Andy, let's get started with the questions. As sure. you mentioned, we are going to talk to Kyle Goon coming up at 8 o'clock. We're going to talk some All-Stars. The Jazz have put in an All-Star bid for 2023. Uh, we're going to look back at the 1993 All-Star game as well. But we have a big show for you because the Jazz are about to embark on a 24-game uh, tear where they've got to win a bunch of basketball games to try and climb into the uh, NBA playoffs. Right. Uh, okay, so questions for you, uh, or for us, I guess. Uh, Chris Hampton, 12340, asks... At the beginning of the season, the Jazz were thought to be a playoff team. If they make up, if they end up making the playoffs, is it an overachievement based on what's happened or what was expected to happen? Were the Jazz expected to be a playoff team? I don't remember the I don't remember the predictions. In I all think honesty. everyone agreed that they would be kind of in the mix for that seven, eight, nine, ten seed, right? Like every, I don't think anyone thought this right. was a top five team. Everyone was predicting them below Golden State, Houston, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Los Angeles, and the Clippers. The Clippers. I don't know that everyone was, predicting but they still came to the season with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. Sure, like that should have been still a pretty good basketball team. And they went out and added uh, Milos Teodosic, and they went out and got Patrick Beverly, and they went out and got the uh, the big kid from Denver. Sure, Danilo Gallinari. Danilo Gallinari. That's uh, that. That's and a San much, Antonio is a team I'm forgetting. The team yeah. that everyone always forgets. That's a so far like, more talented roster than what the Jazz have. I I, I named five the teams. Then there's the Clippers. There, so six. Okay. So uh, yeah, I would say most. Most people saw them in the seven, eight, nine, ten range with Portland, Portland, with Denver, New Orleans, Memphis. 
Yeah. Memphis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. So there were a lot of teams bidding for that. And I think some people had them out of the playoffs and I think some people had them in the playoffs. I don't know that it's fair to say that j- the jazz were expected to be a playoff team. I think a lot of people thought it was possible. I don't think a lot of people, uh, everyone thought it was possible. So I'm a big believer so, in play the hand that you're dealt. Right. Which doesn't mean, and this is a live game. Your hand changes as the season goes on. Before the season, I didn't think the Jazz were going to make the playoffs. And then when they were 20, what, 15 and 24, mm-hmm. I really didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. In fact, I thought it was time to pull the plug on the season, sell all your talent outside of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and then tank, get a top seven or eight pick, and then rebuild. Now you make the playoffs, it's a drastic overachievement, but this team's good enough now where I think that should be the expectation. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, and especially given the the schedule overall, December was the hardest month by any team in the NBA. Uh, it was the hardest schedule month of any team in the league. Right. Now you're in the easy schedule. You've played 58 games. You've got 24 left. How do you... And that means that you're, you've got easy... Honestly, 538 has the Jazz favored to win 20 of their last 24 games. Woo! Right? That's crazy. Woo! Now, some of those games, they're only favored to win, you know, 60-40. So you're going to lose. They're not going to go 20 and 4 nope. to finish the season. They will not. But they might go like 15 and 9. Yeah. And that probably gets it done. Easily gets it done. Yeah. Yeah, they're a game and a half out of the 8th seed right now. Right. Now, there's two teams there's two teams they have to jump to get there. They have to jump the Clippers and they have to jump the Pelicans still to get there, but I don't think that's going to be terribly difficult. Because both of those teams have lost their best power forwards or big men, really. Right. I mean, Blake Griffin and and Boogie Cousins gone helps the Jazz out a lot. Um the Portland Trailblazers have kind of stopped figuring out how to play that well. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. The Denver Nuggets have figured out how to play well. They're 7-3. and three. And it's actually kind of the elite of the West are, are struggling too. Like the Spurs are 4-6 and six in their last 10. The, the Timberwolves are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. The Oklahoma City Thunder are 4-6 and six in their last 10. Like there's the Western Conference besides Houston and Golden State are a bunch of teams with between 24 and 28 wins. And that's that gives the Jazz the opportunity uh, to move up and down Hopefully, pretty easily. You know, if one of these teams falls apart that we don't expect, like a Minnesota Timberwolves and Oklahoma City Thunder with an injury or whatever, um, we could see we could see the Jazz, you know, again move up maybe even to six. But it, it's a good question by Chris to, to kind of try to make us remember what those expectations were at the beginning right. of the year. And then certain places the Jazz have certainly overexceeded, and certain places they probably underachieved. Right. I thought Rodney Hood underachieved this year with the yeah. Jazz. Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal. <laughs> drastically overachieved. Right. Jonas Jerebko, Ekbeudo, Tabo Cephalosha, though you're not going to get him for the last half of the season. I thought those guys all overachieved versus what I expect to see from them. Right. And, and Rudy Gobert, and that's not his fault, but has underachieved due to injury, right? I mean, last 15 games notwithstanding, you just didn't get the production you thought you would get out of Rudy because, well, he was gone for those games. Right. So I, I think given what's happened to the Jazz, um, given how they've played you know, in the 11 games before the All-Star break, I think it's it's fair to say that they they're setting themselves up to overachieve. Let's put it that way. Uh, and they could really go crazy. I mean, the Jazz, if they get up to that sixth seed, fifth seed, I don't think a seven-game series and maybe a first-round win is out of the question for this Jazz no. team. Uh, and, and I don't even think if you get to six and play the three seed, if, if that's San Antonio or Minnesota, I think right. you've got a real shot. Absolutely. Um. Oklahoma City is a little bit harder in my mind, but still, I think the Jazz have shown an ability to give them fits when healthy. Right. Um, good question, though. Good question. We'll take uh, your questions at Andy B. Larson at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. Bridger Sperry asks if... That's a great name. 
Bridger Sperry. That's a really good name. It's very Dickensian. Yeah. Uh, if Derek Favors goes as a free agent, who's a power forward you would target or draft? This is a great draft for power forwards. It is. It's a weird draft for power forwards. Actually, this is a good draft for the Jazz in general. Why do you, why do you say that? Because it doesn't have... Well, I mean, it does have some Rudy Gobert's, but you don't need Rudy Gobert, which is fine, because other teams will gladly suck them up before the Jazz end up getting to... Before right. the, the picks Obama's get to gone. the Jazz. Uh, but there's also a bunch of guys who I think who are power forwards who you could probably play alongside Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of combo guard wings, which I think you could play next to Donovan Mitchell. There's a bunch of guys like that that I think you could play as I've started to look through this draft a little bit that I think make a lot of sense. And But that's also a testament to the versatility of Donovan Mitchell. He's yeah, so no, good. You can have him wherever you want. You can go out and draft a guard and say, hey, Shake Milton from SMU, we just need you to be the tall guy who shoots threes, and I think he can be exactly that. And, you know, honestly, I, I would hope that the Jazz get someone better than Shake Milton, even if they do end up in the, in that, you know, those seeds in the playoffs. You know, like, if we look at where Denver is, they're slated to draft 18 or 19. I, that might be where uh, I, I still think you can get, like, a Kevin Knox or a, a Daniel Gafford at that point of view, Maybe. you know, where you, you're – yeah, I, I think you're a tier above that. But we've talked um, about this a little bit. We'll certainly get into it more as we get closer to the draft and, and the Jazz start yeah. getting workouts. But you're going to have guys who are projected at 15 go 45. I mean, you're going to you, see first round mocks with guys who are 16 or 17. Shake Milton, for example, in one mock will be a 17 and is going to go in the second yeah. round. Which I, I mean, it does happen every year. Usually, it's an injury thing. This is just going to happen because the the bottom of this draft falls out, and there'll be good players. But I, I think it's going to be a weird it's going to be a weird draft. I, I agree with that. Uh, and honestly, if the Jazz do make the playoffs, they kind of fall out of. Would you say there's a top twelve or thirteen to this draft? I mean, a top. There's a top eight, right? And then probably nine through yeah twelve. Nine through twelve, like the the Colin Sexton's, the Miles Bridges, even the Michael Bridges, I think is in that probably in that tier. Uh, yeah, I, I I think that's clearly not as good as like the Mo Bamba. Uh, Mike Marvin Bagley tier, but it's still quite good. So here's what I'm looking at it at uh, ESPN right now, and I know okay. we're going to answer your question, Bridger Sperry. We're actually <laughs> going to get to to what yeah. you asked us about. Uh, so ESPN just did a mock draft today. I know a lot of people don't have insider, so maybe you don't have it. They've got Robert Williams from Texas A&M, who would have been a lottery pick last year had he stayed in the draft at 13. Mm-hmm. I think that's the end of that second tier of the draft. Okay, and that's towards the end of the lottery, and then you get Delonnie Walker, who I watched last night, who's another one of these guys that you say, hey, I think I could probably put him next to Donovan Mitchell and let him be what I want him to be. He looks like yeah. Alfred Payton, and then I'm just going to make him tall and shoot. <laughs> so he doesn't play at all like Alfred Payton, but he looks a little bit like yeah. Alfred okay. Payton. He's got that uh, pineapple hair, which is great. I'd love to. I'd love <laughs> pineapple it. hair? I love that term. Yeah, he's got, he looks like a pineapple. His head looks like a pineapple. Okay. Look him up. Okay. Lonnie Walker, the fourth. Lonnie Walker, Miami. the fourth. Uh, You're right. Anyway, okay, power forwards. The obvious name that's been talked about a lot is Trevor Booker. Yes. For the Utah Jazz to go out because Trevor Booker likes the Jazz, likes Utah, probably isn't going to make a ton of money, isn't on a team right now that wants to resign him, Right. I would imagine. Well, I guess he's in Philly, but they're going to go in a different direction. I Exactly. They're going to use their cap space in other ways, and, and honestly, more uh, ambitious ways. Let's put it that way. So and Whether that be even a, even a Rodney Hood, for example, would be more ambitious than resigning Trevor Booker. And I don't know what Trevor Booker's looking for. He may just be looking for comfort at this point in his career. Yeah. Uh, Which, and I don't mean that in money. I mean just fit familiarity, knowing he's going to be treated fairly, that might be what he wants. And, and it seems like the Jazz will have probably the mid-level exception, if, if we're honest. You know, if you re-sign Dante to 8 to $12 million a year, uh, you end up with having about the mid-level exception to sign guys. Right. So with that, you know, Trevor Booker is a guy who would absolutely take that amount of money. 
Um, so the mid-level exception is about eight to nine million dollars next yes. season, right? Yeah. Does Derek? How much does Derek Favors get? That's a good question. Like, I mean, why we is about this that answer? Why is this answer not Derek Favors? Because he's he probably too big. Because he, you know, it's probably too big to fit next to Rudy Gobert. Right. I mean, it's it's. If you really could choose well Trevor Booker or Derek Favors, who would Derek you choose? Derek Favors. Right. Even, yeah. At $9 million a year. And there's a chance Derek doesn't get more than that. And right. again, says, you know what? Comfort, fair. I went out and I did the free agent thing and I talked to the Clippers and I talked to Dallas. And Dallas, unfortunately, drafted Mo Bamba and doesn't want another big man, <laughs> you know, because they're yeah. going to draft the top five pick. They're going to get a big guy in this draft. And they're going to say, Derek, you're going to be a guy who's probably still not going to be in our developmental plans because we've got Harrison Barnes, who we still play at the four, and we're going to have a five. Right. out there who's young and we want him to play because we're still not going to be any good next year. And Dirk still wants to play next season because he wants to play till he's 40. So now Dirk Favors is in all these weird spots that doesn't make any sense for him. Yeah, no, it's true. It, I, I don't know that there's going to be a big market that for Derek Favors. I mean, there wasn't in the trade deadline and the Jazz wanted to move in and I think that's reflective of of maybe there's probably limited free agent uh, interest in, in Derek Favors too. I hope he gets Bismack Biombo money. Like honestly, and which sounds crazy, but I think Bismack signed a four year seventy five million dollar right. contract. I hope Derek Favors can go and get that. I just he don't is think he can. Ten times the player that Bismack Biombo is and he's nice and he's like a good guy and he has yeah. kids and he seems like he wants to do things the right way. And even when he's unhappy, he doesn't let anyone know he's unhappy. At least he doesn't let the media know he's unhappy, which I think is the right thing to do for fans. Mm-hmm. Obviously the media would love to hear about it and be able to write about it. But good thing for the fans that Derek doesn't do that. But he deserves all the money in the world, and he just might not get it. Yeah. I mean, let me ask you this. Would you rather sign I, – I, I almost kind of envision the Jazz just signing a big wing at that spot and just committing to playing small. Let me ask you this. How much longer does Joe Ingles have to play at the small forward position? The fact that actually he's yeah. a decent finisher now and has shown a willingness to hit that eight-foot knuckleball that he puts up, you know, the little floater – that allow that gives him a little bit more life at small forward. I agree. But his last two years of, of this contract, which is starting after next season, he's probably a power forward. I guess that's the question is because you're right. It, as a small forward, you kind of have the ball in his hands more, right? And right. a power forward, you're using more to space in today's right. NBA, whether that be in the corner or behind, you know, kind of in that wing spot, right? right. And I, and I think. Right now, you want the ball in Joe Ingles' hands enough that you want him as as one of your main perimeter guys. Even even you can play him as a two, and it's it's he's a big two, but you can defend guys like a JJ Redick, right? right. Who are clearly shooting guards. Uh, but you're right. At some point, that that he's thirty right now, right? That speed will probably go down, and he's probably going to be a a four spacing four. He'll as be his as th- his best role in the way that Joe Johnson was. He'll be 32 going into 2019, 2020, which is na- after next summer. And he's probably just old. He's probably lost another right. step. And at some point, he can't afford to lose any more steps and still be a wing player. Right. He can be a stretch big, but he can't be a wing player. Yeah. So right. maybe you don't worry. Maybe you just say, hey, Jonas Drebko, we'll bring in for a year, and you want another guy. Don't get me wrong. You're not just going to run with Jonas Drebko. But you know, maybe you say, can Tavo Cephalosha pick up some of those minutes because you're going to resign him next season? Yeah. You get another guy for two years, though, to come in and make two years $20 million or, or the mid-level exception, which would be two years $18 million. And then you let Joe Ingles take over that role. And then let's say Danny Green doesn't pick up his player option. And and I don't know, Danny Green might get more than the mid-level. But if you can get him to sign something like that, then you kind of shift everyone down a position. And I, I don't think you're actually, in the modern NBA, I think that's really nice to have a a kind of a four uh, rotation of Joe Ingles, Tavo Cephalosha, uh, Jonas Drebko. Right. 
And Danny Green. And Danny Green. Well, Danny Green, you're probably playing at the two or three, right? But Again, he's one of those guys who, as he yeah. gets a little bit older, you can play him anywhere, which right. is such, what's wings. so weird about Jake, the... I'm forgetting Jay Crowder, too. Right. We're and both forgetting Jay Crowder. Crowder, who, again, is capable of playing the four. So yeah. uh, maybe you just maybe what we've learned is you shouldn't sign a power forward. You yeah. should just sign a, a shooting guard small forward. Yep. Another shooter. Just add more shooting to this team. I'm glad we talked through that. We needed to because we forgot Jay Crowder, which is something we should talk about on this show. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. This is the Salt City Hoops Show. It's 718. You can tweet at us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben's Hoops. You can also give us a call, 877-353-0700. But we do love answering your questions. How do you feel the Jay Crowder trade went for the Jazz now that we've seen him for a few games? Uh, I mean, clearly it was a buy-low, sell-low situation, right? Where sure. Rodney Hood... If if you knew he was going to be playing like this and you knew he wasn't going to be in your future uh, beyond this offseason, you probably would have traded him last trade deadline or during this offseason and, and got more value. Uh, that being said, you wouldn't have been able to get Jay Crowder at either of those points because Correct. Jay Crowder was you know, looked at as one of the best contracts in the league. Right. And, and so I think uh, Jay's immediate fit through his first, what, he's played three games in a Jazz uniform played, scored 15 points in two of those games, 14 points in the right. other one. It, it's been a nice fit. I, I think clearly there are a lot of times where he doesn't know what to do yet, right? right? I mean, you talked about it a little bit on the show last week, I think. There was a time where he actually ran into, I believe it was Joe Ingles right. in the corner, and right. it was just like, oh, right. this this isn't right. what was supposed to be happening. And talking to Jay, he, he did seem kind of overwhelmed by Quinn Snyder's playbook to begin. You know, I, I think... Everyone knows how complex Quinn Snyder's offensive system is. Uh, I think it's part of the reason Ricky Rubio struggled early. I think it's part yeah. of the reason a lot of these new players have struggled early is just because they they don't know exactly what to do yet, and they're not comfortable with the timing and the reads yet. And I think we've we've seen some of that from Jay. Um, but I think the defense has been has been there. I honestly do. Yeah. I, I think he's been a nice player making and making the right plays, and 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 that's kind of what Rodney Hood didn't bring right and I, I think what his skill set is and we know what his skill set is as he continues to fit and figure out what the jazz need that skill set works because it even works when he's not fitting into the system right which is he's a really scary slasher be not because he's paul george you know not right. because he's one of these great slashers he just weighs 250 pounds yeah. and he's really strong and he actually has a reasonably soft touch around the rim when you get that, he's not going to finish on top of anybody. He's just That's not the thing. a dunker. He's not vertically athletic but at all. But he's so powerful, and you so don't want to get hit by him that you get out of the way or you get knocked out of the way, and then he finishes. And he gets and ones like he did against the Spurs late in the game when the Jazz desperately needed it. Mm-hmm. He's he's already made some big plays with the skills that he has, and his jump shot is decent enough that you have to respect it. Yeah, and I think you know there's a chance that the Jazz can develop that to be even a good jump shot. He's going to be and he's going to get a lot of jump shots. I think. And, Quinn Snyder's offense, we've seen that already. I mean, he he has taken a lot of shots with the Jazz, averaging 11.3 shots per game. You know, that'd be the most of his career if that keeps up. I don't know that it will, um, but he, he's done a nice job in, in making at least some of those shots so far. I mean, I don't want to get crazy about a 6-for-16 sample size from beyond the three-point line, but right. that's that's 37%. That's not bad. He's also getting looks that he wasn't getting when he was in Cleveland and getting opportunity yes. to shoot threes that he wasn't getting when he was in Cleveland. Clearly, the Jazz are using him completely differently than he was being used in Cleveland. I uh, I mean, I, I kind of wrote about this a little bit for KSL.com, but mostly the Cavs played him at the four uh, and used him as the screen setter for other guys like LeBron James and then kind of forced a switch, which then LeBron could take advantage of. Uh, but that left him kind of out in the offense alone, you know, not in, not maybe in the best scenario for him. 
And I think having the ball in his hands and having him more involved, I think he's a pretty good decision maker with the ball. You look at his low turnover numbers and, and that computes. Uh, and while he's not like a tremendous driver, he doesn't have that great first step. Right. I, I think he can make intelligent plays and, and kind of set his teammates up and, and maybe get involved on the defensive end because he has the balls the ball in his hands on the offensive end. And he's good enough off the ball. Yes. As a slasher, which backdooring guys, which he did against San Antonio, which we've seen him do already in the Jazz uniform, which has been good. And something I tweeted out, his his first two games he made six threes with the Jazz, which is the most threes he made in any two-game stretch at any point this season already. Wow. Now, again, he just got hot, but he also wasn't having two-game stretches where he was taking 12 threes. Right. He just might need to be a guy who gets that type of rhythm, who knows to expect six threes a game, and he probably will do that. And again, yeah, it's through three games, but yeah, this is the most three-point attempts he's made on a per-minute basis, or shot on a per-minute basis even, uh, in his career. Which is fine, and I think the Jazz will keep using him like that as long as he doesn't continue to go over 4 like he did against the Phoenix Suns. Right, and yeah, and even then you're you're fine with it so long as, yeah, he makes a 6 for 12. Before that. You know, before that, right. 37% isn't bad. Even 34% you'd, you'd probably be fine with. As, you probably as need it. You probably need him to continue shooting that many if he's shooting 34%, just so you can open some of his ability to backdoor. Because yeah. you have to have someone staying honest with him on the perimeter. Otherwise, the jazz spacing really gets messed up, and then you probably can't play him with Derek Favors or with uh, with Rudy Gobert. Right. Uh, agreed. Because, yeah, th- then it's only backdoor cuts, and then it's just there's too much. Right. Yeah, if, if all he can traffic. do is backdoor cut, then the guy on the baseline just sinks down and double teams Rudy Gobert, and then you can right. give, give the ball, and Jay Crowder can't do anything from the baseline. Right. Uh, Anyways, I think the Jay Crowder thing has worked well. I think he's going to work out better for the Jazz than what Rodney Hood was going to be for the Jazz. Yeah, Rodney well, Hood just was not was too rep was going to replicate the skill set that the Jazz already had. Against how many teams is like a Jay Crowder, Tabo Cephalosha, Jonas Drebko power forward unit a, a mismatch disadvantage at this point? A lot. I still think a lot. Okay, because like, top end talent, the Jazz are going to be at a disadvantage most nights that they go out there. Sure, but the Jazz can kill you with depth, which is really good. But like I, I'm telling, I'm t- like how many, how many from a matchup point of view, how many guys are going to go into the post or, or make make it so that the Jazz lose the, that power forward matchup? I I just don't know that there are that many teams left. I mean, I, I I look at these these NBA standings for example, right? The Houston Rockets, who are they playing a power forward? It's Trevor Ariza. Right. Golden State Warriors. They're playing Kevin Durant, but like you want Jay Crowder guarding Kevin Durant, right? right? You want Tabo Cephalosha guarding Kevin Durant. It's a f- or Draymond Green. What the Jazz are doing right now is the right fit. It's the right design to how to play power forward in the NBA right now. Right. That, that, yeah, that's that's clear. And you know what? If you have Derek Favors still at your four, you're in good shape too if if you can kind of bounce around between all of those guys. Sure, and that's the thing is you need I, – I think that gives you versatility, and then you need a Derek Favors who's happy to play 20 minutes one night and or even 15 minutes one night and 35 minutes another night. This is Salt City Hoop Show. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. We'll continue to take your questions on the other side. You can tweet at us at Andy B. Larson or at Ben's Hoops. We want to hear from you. We're also going to talk some more about the Utah Jazz, where they are in the standings, and and kind of what this last 24 games of the season is going to look like. And Donovan Mitchell won the dunk contest. Andy was there. We should talk about it. We're definitely going to talk about that. Coming up next, stick around. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, the home of the Utes. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700, 730, Tuesday night. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. I also contribute to KSL.com. You can tweet at us, at Andy B. Larson, if you have questions. 
or at Ben's Hoops. We always love to talk to your uh, Utah Jazz questions or answer your Utah Jazz questions and your NBA questions, and we just like to interact with you in general. Yeah. We do have a couple more questions this Let's segment. Do, do we want to get into it? I of course. Mean, uh, Outer Darkness asks, as a college basketball fan, this is an interesting question, I believe that having the Jazz franchise in Utah has hurt college basketball attendance and recognition locally. Your thoughts? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because if there weren't the Jazz, then people would be like, well, what am I going to do? Right. Oh, I'm going to watch basketball. Okay. Let's go up to Huntsman and watch basketball. Right. And NFL teams hurt college football teams. Yeah. I, you look at good NFL markets. If the markets. Alabama Steelers existed, the Alabama Roll Tide, Crimson Tide, wouldn't be as big of a deal. <laughs> you know, no one would care as much about Alabama football if they had an NFL team. Right. I think more people care about Bama football than Georgia football. Correct. Right. right, like, and, and right. maybe that's Bama football being more successful, but right. more people care about Auburn football than right. than Georgia football. When you yeah. have a professional f- sport, it's bigger of that same. It's usually bigger than that same sport at the college level. Yeah, so no doubt. Yes, the Jazz have hurt the Utes. The Jazz have hurt BYU. Yeah, and and you know, I I I don't think that that does that make them worse programs. I guess I would Utah and BYU be better programs if it weren't for the Jazz. I don't know. You know, it's, better competitively. We've got some weird cultural stuff going on because uh, basketball is big in the LDS church. Sure. A lot of kids play it. There's churches in every, or I should say, there's basketball courts in every church. Yeah. So it's it's. But the tie there. is to junior jazz rather than right exactly the youths or the Cougars. I oh, mean, right, correct. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Maybe you get those guys going to local schools. I mean, although you know there aren't a ton of like local good prospects. Anyway, you know, right. Um, Wasatch Academy has changed that a little bit, but still, you know, we get one good prospect every five years. I mean, that might be too little, one great prospect, one every, great prospect five years. every five years. We usually have three D one, four D one players sure. every senior class. Sure. So, which is good. That's enough. I mean, it's not great, but we only have three million people in the state. Right. So, yeah, I I, I just think yeah, I don't know that it's. I'm curious how it would be if the Jazz weren't here. I don't want that, you know, outcome. But it's, clearly, there would be more attention on Utah and BYU. Right, and the attention is the good thing. And if you were selling out those gyms every single night, which they actually do, they do pretty well. But it's not the Jazz, right? You know, they don't do that well, and the inter- the, the entertainment's not as good. And, and I'll basketball's tell you, not as good, right? And uh, yeah, exactly. I'll tell you, Outer Darkness as a as a basketball fan, I would rather watch an NBA game out of a college game. You know, no question, ninety nine out of a hundred times, right? That's, right. And it would have to be the very worst NBA game and the very best college game um, to, to make me even think about the choice. Adrian Adrian Milner on Twitter, ADJ Mall, asks, does Donovan's dunk contest win have an effect on the rookie of the year race, or does it help with future free agents? In fact, I wrote about this today at KSL.com. I think it does. Absolutely. It, it, it thrust him onto the scene for casual fans and even casual yeah. media members. And there are such a thing as casual media Absolutely. members. Absolutely. And they get to vote on these guys, right? Yes. So they're going to be voting and they say, you know what? I didn't watch a ton of Ben Simmons because I don't watch Philadelphia because I live in Dallas. And I saw Donovan Mitchell three times this year, but the Mavericks are terrible. So it was never a big thing. But you know what? I was there because I wanted to watch Dennis Smith Jr. Mm-hmm. And I saw Donovan Mitchell and he was he lived up to the hype because yeah. I saw him for four dunks. And that's what everyone talks about. Sure. He's my rookie of the year. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of like I guess they've they've eliminated team broadcaster votes. Um, so there aren't those guys. There used to be just a, a a huge voting block that would either vote for their team's guy or the guy who had the most impressive game against their team. Yeah. Uh, 
and now that that's gone, it, it is mostly PBWA writers, which are guys who cover the league and, and I think do a better job of kind of knowing what's going on inside and out of their team. But Donovan Mitchell being, you know, kind of the number one rookie at this event, Ben Simmons had a nice Rising Stars game, uh, but, you know, I, I, I don't think he, he had that spotlight on him that Donovan Mitchell had. And all these guys getting a chance to talk to Donovan Mitchell, I think, is is important. You know, you know, like me, I I don't want to say fell in love, but I fell in love with Donovan Mitchell the first time I talked to him when he came in to work out for yep. the Jazz on yep. like May 14th or whatever that was, right? And I think having that experience will probably help him in the Rookie of the Year race. Uh, how about free, free agency? Exposure works. Exposure always works. Uh, and, that, and Donovan Mitchell got more exposure and is getting more exposure right now than Ben Simmons is. Yes. 877-353-0700. We always take your phone calls. Uh, and we've got a, a caller now. Sam? On line one. Sam, what's going on? Hey, how are you, man? Good. How are you? I just heard you say that the Utah Jazz are hurting the youth, running youth and BYU. Um, it's just my opinion. I beg to differ. I think we're in a very small market. It's the population that affects the teams. It's not anything else about whether Jazz hurts the youth or not. If you have a city that has a lot of people, the program is not going to be affected. That's... We are in a very small market, and because we're in a small market, we don't have the support that we need everywhere. Let me and ask you make, this, though. If, if to, make the... my point, to make my point, California schools don't hurt as much as Utah schools do. Does that make sense to you? Not really. Explain. I just did. The the California there's a lot more people there's a lot more people in California sure but let me let me ask you this if if the twenty thousand people who go to jazz games fifteen to twenty thousand people go to every single jazz game if the jazz didn't exist they would need something to do with their Monday Wednesday Friday Tuesday Thursday nights whatever it is wouldn't more of them go to Utah and BYU games and therefore oh, have more interest course. and have more yeah. boosters and those sorts of things that bring in quality players of course there's no argument there of course. You, you don't have all the people that you need to support both uh, right. entities. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep, Sam, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Sam, we appreciate the call, but what we're saying is market share, right? I right. mean, the Jazz just take a bigger market share than what the Utes and BYU would get if they didn't exist. If you were to just split the Jazz fans evenly amongst BYU and, U- and, and Utah fans, they'd get another 10,000 fans each. Well, they'd probably get another you know, 80,000 fans each. Right. So there's and a lot of people just don't care about college basketball because you've got a better team here and a better product than the Utah Jazz. Sure. But they're basketball fans, and some of that exists in the culture. I get what Sam's saying, though. Yeah, if you have more people, you're going to have a better right. population, better recruiting. And you can have, and you can have both. If, you know, if you're Los Angeles and you can have two NBA teams and two elite college basketball programs in USC and UCLA, and that's... That's fine, you know. I, I, uh, Sam's not wrong, right? I mean, Sam's Correct. right that if, if Utah were had six million people in it, then you would probably have enough people that you couldn't say that the Jazz were hurting the Utes and the Cougars, right? But unfortunately, you know, it is only three million people in Utah, and, and people have to choose how to how they spend their entertainment right. time and their entertainment dollars. But if Boise had an NFL team, would anyone care about Boise State football? No, of course not. Uh, back to your questions. At Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. We always love to hear from you. You can also call us 877-353-0700. Back to Adrian Milner's que- or Miner's question. I apologize. He says, does Donovan Mitchell's dunk contest win help with future free agents? I, I don't know. I-, I think with, like, Jeremy Evans wasn't a free agent draw, right? But I, I think having him have the opportunity to be in the spotlight and-, and really talk to these free agents, 
um, in person. And, you know, we've seen it at the end of games, right? Where yep. Russell Westbrook or even LeBron James, Paul George, Chris Paul, you name an all-star and he's probably talked to Donovan Mitchell after a, a regular season NBA game for them to get a chance to hang out and have a good time together. And, and Donovan is one of those players who, you know, guys like being around. And right. so I think having establishing those relationships and having him uh, have that opportunity was the most important part. I, I think winning gives him more credibility in those kind of conversations, sure. but I, I don't know that it, change things a great deal. I think it was more important for him to be there than it was for him to win it. Correct. You have to be there to be able to just have that conversation. And if you're not there, you're out of luck. Right. But he's there. And he's going to be at All-Star Games. He's going to be there next year because he'll be in the Rising Stars Challenge again at least and maybe in the All-Star Game. And then two years from now, I'd expect him to just be in the All-Star Game every year. And more people wanted to talk to Donovan Mitchell maybe because of this than Dennis Smith Jr. Right. Then, in that sense, people also like winners on top of that. And he won a dunk contest. You know, th- th- those things have, those things do help. When you can tie winning to your name, whatever it is that you're doing, I think people like that. Is it huge? No. But Donovan Mitchell can't be d- argued that he's not a winner or that he doesn't perform. I would say, though, that the 11-game win streak coming into the All-Star break was more impactful than the slam dunk contest win during the contest itself, during the weekend itself, if that makes sense. You know, oh. because guys like winning during the regular season and, and obviously long-term more than they like winning the contests, as we've seen from every All-Star game, sans this one. You know, like, like it's the winning they like, but they know it's just an exhibition, too. Adrian, good question. Yeah. More questions? Yeah, we've got one from Pete. Uh, Pete Busha asks, I'm really curious about your predictions on the future. And so we've got kind of two questions here, and maybe we don't have time to answer both. But uh, what should we expect from Rubio? And can Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert to continue to shine together? There's bound to be a regression, but how much? I'm a little uh, worried about this long break for Ricky Rubio after he was playing so well. Yeah. I'm a little worried that he was hot and needed to stay hot, and he kind of got to a point where he's not going to be hot anymore because he got hurt, and then he missed a week and a half because of the All-Star break. And I'll, I'll tell you, I think maybe less from a shooting point of view because I think we all knew that the shooting wasn't going to continue because, you know, that's that's Ricky Rubio, right? We've right. got six and a half years of evidence that he's, he's not the best shooter in the world. Uh, but I am worried that the hip injury will affect his movement, and that's what really was special during that you know nine games, or I guess eight games that he did play during that streak, um, and he was able to get to the rim and finish, and that was something that uh, didn't seem 100% like a fluke, right? Like it did seem it was new, but in order to get past guys and finish, you, you actually have to have those skills, and so I, I, I'm a little bit worried that the hip injury may hurt his movement, and, and that's we may see some regression as related to that. And I, I think maybe that's why the Jazz were so cautious about that hip injury, not playing him you know, against the, the Suns, even though he was listed as questionable for that game. Right. Uh, but but I, I would expect his fit within the system to make more sense because I think he just understands the system better. Yeah. So I think Rubio will be good, will be usable, and I actually think he's not. He's somebody the Jazz won't give up on throughout this contract. The other thing is Ricky Rubio, uh, Rudy Gobert just makes Ricky Rubio's defense so much better. Yep. Because he can just be smart around those right. screens rather than have to guess or, or trail or try to hedge. And it just en- makes him end up in the wrong spot. When Rudy Gobert is behind him and gives him a chance to recover, then that's when he can kind of make those backside plays that can make him a, a special defender with how he's able to steal the ball. I do think Quinn was very candid it was probably two weeks ago now talking about why Rubio was playing so well. And he said Ricky was just thinking too much. He said Ricky was just in his own head, was coming out of games and asking questions, and, and sometimes you just need to be just play. Just go out and play. It'll feel natural if you do it the right way. Yeah. You know, and if you're doing it naturally, it will feel right. 
And I think Ricky f- kind of figured that out finally. Yeah. And once the Jazz are winning, maybe Rubio is, is better playing from ahead. You know, maybe as long as he doesn't have to save a team, he's fine. But if the team's rolling, maybe he feels like he can keep rolling too. Which yeah. is not that surprising. He's kind of he's he was known as a showman before he got right. to the NBA. Maybe sometimes those guys play better when you're playing well. I am curious because I think he needs to take on more of an offensive load with the swap of Rodney Hood and Jay Crowder, right? Because Rodney Hood used so many possessions and yep. had the ball in his hands for most of the time during those possessions. Uh, Jay Crowder is not usually that guy, and so I think Ricky Rubio probably has to do more with it. And that maybe might be a good thing. That's a good thing, right? Yep. That's kind of when he. Uh, can actually use that skill set we've we've all liked for so long. And has been ball dominant his whole life before he got to the Jazz. Right. He's not an off-the-ball player. Last question before we take a break. Andrew Snyder, did you get hit by any more cars when you were down there? You got hit by no, a car in Memphis. I did get hit by a car in Memphis. So that's the only time you've ever been hit by a uh, car. Bill Oram and I, we were carpooling down together to the game. Uh, did encounter a police chase, though. Oh. Got our L.A. experience that way. L.A.'s Just great. Had a car drive by, zoom past us, and then you know the line of eight police cars behind us, the helicopter circling overhead. It was it was fun. Right out of Goodfellas. Uh, you've only been hit by one car in your life. Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> Don't get hit again. Not a trend. Uh, Seven forty-three. We're gonna take a break. When we come back, we will talk more about the All Star Game, and we'll take your questions at Andy B. Larson at Ben's Hoops on Twitter. It's a Salt City Hoops Show, Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN seven hundred. <laughs> The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700, 749. Andy Larson, Ben Anderson. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. I'm also a contributor at KSL.com. We failed to answer the second half of of Pete's question. He tweeted at us, and you can do that as well if you want to have your questions answered, at Andy B. Larson and at Ben's Hoops. He said, can Favors and Gobert continue to shine together? There's bound to be a regression, but how much? Um, I don't know how. I mean, I think a lot of this was the early part of the streak was Ricky Rubio, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert really working together. Um, I think we didn't see that work as well in the San Antonio and the Phoenix games, right? Where, you know, really Rudy Gobert was coming in for Derek Favors, not for anybody else. You know, they weren't finishing games with Fave and Gobert on the, on the court together. Um, but I, I clearly they've started to work together as a unit better. I, I still think it's probably best. And we saw why that for Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, that they, make space for each other and and probably have usually one on the floor at, yeah. at once. You've got to be staggered um, for the most part. And Jay Crowder allows you to do that. I in a way that Jonas Drebko doesn't. Jonas Drebko honestly has had a pretty bad last month, I yeah, would say. Yeah, he's not been great. Uh Jay Crowder allows you to play small and play convincingly small. Uh and again, Derek Favors won the Jazz San Antonio game. Yeah. But he did. uh I, I I just don't know that you And also, hold on. There's a good uh, kind of asterisk on that. He almost didn't even have the opportunity unless Rudy Gobert would have granted it to him. Right. So also understand that. As good as Derek Favors has been playing, there's no doubt in the Jazz mind that they would rather have Rudy Gobert on the floor. Yeah. As good as Derek Favors is playing right now and was dominant in that game, the Jazz still went to default, which is you've got to put Rudy Gobert in the game. He's a better player. You've got to protect Rudy a little bit. But let's go with Rudy. We think he's going to give us a better shot. Here. And Exactly. The, they, Quinn Snyder asked Rudy Gobert, right? Like, I think... A lot of coaches in that situation be like, you know, Rudy yeah. Gobert. Sorry, right. you gotta, you gotta, you see what's happening. Quinn asked Rudy, and I think right. that says a lot. Right? I was like, interested in that. That's an interesting exchange there. There was, some, I mean, clearly Quinn 
if he thought Rudy was going to be better there, wouldn't have asked. Right. He just would have said, well, I know Rudy's going to be better here. <laughs> so You're we'll going in, Rudy. Yeah. But, Rudy, are you seeing what we're seeing? They just don't know how to guard the Joe Ingles, Derek Favors pick and roll, which has actually been really good all year, yeah. which is a funny thing because I don't know why. Joe Ingles is not that good going to the rim. I don't know no. why he's so hard to defend in the pick and roll, but clearly he is. He's got a great timing. Yeah, which I, is, think, I think it is timing. That's and... all the pick and roll is. You know, Stockton was dangerous, could pick and pop, but he was just so good with his passes that he made it perfect. Joe Ingles is doing that really well as well. I think Rudy's timing gets messed up sometimes yeah. where teams are so physical with him. Uh, that they prevent him from rolling to the rim, where Derek Favors can kind of push through that physicality because, honestly, he's stronger than Rudy Gobert, right? And Rudy's a one-speed roller. Yeah. he Once he goes, he's going. Right. He can't stop. Derek Favors can actually stop and put up a little floater. He's shown that before. Or try and stop and pass out. Yeah. Once Rudy gets the ball, it's going up. There's no passing out of it, really. I mean, he does occasionally, but very Not rarely. as often as Favors. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, and maybe that's why that works better for uh, Joe and Rudy together. Uh, so what do I think? I, Joe and Fave together. Right? Uh, it, it can work for the next 24 games, and hopefully sure. 34 games. It'd be great if the Jazz got 10 extra games this season, Ooh. which means they win a playoff series and then push Houston to six games. Right, and, and it totally depends on who you play, right? Like, if you play the Thunder, uh, maybe you have a more more of an opportunity to use Fave and Gobert together than if you play oh, Houston. Know, Houston. Yeah. Yep. And, no, and, no ability to play those guys together at all. Right. <laughs> yeah, they would, they would kill you, <laughs> like... It would be. I mean, they might kill you anyway, but they're going to kill you anyways. But one's going to be uglier well, than the other. Yeah. Uh, so that that that's kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, and, I'm and, with you. And you're going to ride Rubio out, Rubio out as long as you can. Yeah. It, I'm. I'm again. How he finishes the season determines a lot about you know if you want to make a change at the point guard position. We were talking about that earlier on in the year. Is you know what do you do with Ricky Rubio's last year of his deal, and you know do you do a swap for a? I, I mean. Minnesota might even do a Jeff Teague for Ricky Rubio swap at this point. I don't know that you would want to do that, but hmm. Jeff Teague's been pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Schroeder actually is probably a more likely uh, candidate where he wants out of Atlanta. Atlanta wants him out. You could pick up a Dennis Schroeder to be your point guard next year. Yeah. Um, is that better than Ricky Rubio? I I, I don't know. I, I, you you know, think, I think you might like that you have a free contract at the end of the year where you can make that decision. Yeah. And, and I think the last 24 games really do, you know, decide a little bit whether you want Rubio uh, as as your guy for next year. Uh, what was the highlight of the the NBA All-Star Weekend? We're going to talk to Kyle Goon coming up in about 15 minutes, and we're going to talk more about this with Andy because you guys were both down there. Uh, but what was your highlight? What did you? Because you've never been in an All-Star game no. before. Yeah, I, I was surprised at how busy it was, how many things there were to do. You know, We would get down there at like 10 a.m., uh, watch – the all-star rising stars or the game practices or the slam dunk practices. Uh, and then they would do a media day and then the events would start. And usually there was a, a event, you know, kind of at four o'clock where you could talk to Adam silver. You could talk to uh, the PBWA. You know, it's just like you end up at the Staples center from 10 AM to midnight every day. And so there's, the there's PBWA a lot of stuff is the professional basketball writers of, of America. Thank you. Uh, Andy gets in his talk and assumes everyone knows what he knows, and that's not a thing. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So, (laughs) is uh, it uh, of America or association? I think think it's it's association. association. Yeah, yeah, because Toronto, but um, still America. (laughs) Touche. I I would say, honestly, maybe my favorite part. uh, You know, obviously, there's kind of like the excitement of Donovan Mitchell doing well. Yeah. 
But those last five minutes of the All-Star game were like... And you were actually at the game. Yeah. You got to stay, even though the Jazz didn't have anyone around. Yeah. Good for you. The, yeah, they had the same seats for everyone all three days. Uh, that was really great. Like, that was really exciting basketball. That was as to, good a five minutes we've had in an All-Star game in a really long time. Right. To the point where Kevin Durant was openly celebrating in the face of the man who helped him win a championship and Steph Curry because they they stifled him late in that game. Yes. They shut him down. Kevin Durant and LeBron James were thrilled to win that game to the point, and to go back to our point about whether or not winning the dunk contest matters or being at the All-Star game matters, I saw LeBron and Kevin Durant celebrating, and this just a spark in my head, and I'm sure a lot of people did, thought, well, maybe they team up. And maybe <laughs> it's not in Golden State, but right. maybe it's not Golden State. Maybe it's Kevin Durant's next stop. You know, maybe they do end their careers together maybe. because they remember that moment. They said, hey, that's pretty fun. That's pretty exciting. And celebrating together is something not everyone gets to do. And that would be yeah. fun to do with you. Fair. And, you know, there was that, that ref call um, at the end there where both of them were furious at the refereeing crew for mm-hmm. calling it out of bounds and in the wrong way. And I, I just thought that that was – I'll tell you what. That exceeded my expectations more than any moment of the All-Star game. And I think sometimes – that's that's kind of what determines excitement, right? Like that's that's it. It was really it was really fun. Uh, we're going to talk to Kyle Goon coming up next. He's going to join us from the Salt Lake Tribune, giving us a breakdown on what he saw at the All Star break, and then what what does the future look like for the Jazz as they make a bid on the All Star game? Yeah. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Tweet at us at Andy B Larson at Ben's Hoops Salt City Hoop Show ESPN 700, the home of the Utes. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700, 802. He's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. Andy's the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. I'm also a contributor at KSL.com. You can tweet your questions at us, at Andy B. Larson and at Ben's Hoops. We would love to hear from you and love to answer your questions or just get in on the conversation. Let's welcome in another beat writer for the Utah Jazz. You can read him at the Salt Lake Tribune. You can find him on Twitter at Kyle Goon. It is Kyle Goon. Kyle, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for inviting me. It's like, whoa. Like, I wish I could physically walk into the room and just, like, feel the space, you know? It's like, what's this life like with, with you and Andy? Like, well, there's a reason we didn't invite you, Kyle. Like, <laughs> we could have had you in the studio, but we didn't ask you to be here. Get a sense of, like, what what like what greatness must feel like every day to walk in that studio, you know, it's like, what was it like to be these guys? Wow. Kyle, do you get the impression that fans are, or at least media is starting to think that way nationally about Donovan Mitchell? (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, we don't, so so obviously the the media people don't cheer for the team and, and, but, it was interesting how many comments I got from other media from other places that said, wow, I'm so happy for you guys because they know that Andy and I will be writing about a really good basketball player for a lot of years and better to write about really good basketball players than really bad basketball players. So uh, around the league, he's getting that attention. Um, obviously, players have, have understood how good he is and and Chris Paul and Paul George were two of the guys who pushed him into the league. But I think, you know, the other night was kind of his coming out party. It's like, hey, this this kid is real. People respect him. Um, you know, and people enjoy watching him play. And he was he was kind of fun to watch in the dunk contest. And I think that was a huge reason why he won. So, Kyle, Ben asked me this question before we went to break last segment. Asked me what my favorite part of All-Star Weekend was. What was yours? 
my favorite part of All-Star Weekend. Um, in retrospect, it was standing behind the en- enormous stage that they had set up right in front of media because we're the only <laughs> non-paying customers in the building sure. and listening to Fergie start the national anthem. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> your favorite part is, is Fergie's that national was, anthem. That was big. So you, you're, a, you're big. a big enjoyer of, of bad content. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm here for the bad content. Okay. That, uh, no, it was great. And my, actually, that was, that, that's honestly, of all the things that people have wanted to ask you about All-Star Weekend, since I got back, Fergie has been the hottest topic. Like, people asking, were you there? Were you watching? I was like, well, we weren't watching. We were blocked off. But we have ears, you know? We, we, could, we could hear it was, it, was a, um, it was a bold new direction for the National Anthem. That was Is bold that was the right word? Else. But, <laughs> oh, very bold. But, I mean, obviously Donovan winning the dunk contest was pretty cool to watch. Um, uh, it, it's kind of fun watching the three-point contest when no one could make a three, like, in, in a weird way. Um, and then the All-Star game was, was pretty good. So th- there was actually some good basketball going on this weekend. Uh, Kyle, Utah and Salt Lake City certainly are never going to be Los Angeles, but did, this, did you get the feeling being there that, that Salt Lake could host an All-Star game and, and do a good job? Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely think so. I mean, and, you know, All-Star Weekend is kind of, it, it, it takes up a couple blocks, and just the way Salt Lake is set up, um, you know, the Salt Palace being pretty close to, to the arena um, and, and the hotels being sort of all around, um, you know, it, it, I think it would be pretty easy to kind of figure out the logistics of, hey, like, here's all this fan stuff going out on at the Salt Palace. You know, maybe there's some practices or whatever at the Huntsman Center, um, and and all obviously the center of everything is is at the arena. And you know, maybe they they branch out in the street a little bit. I'm not sure they could get the Killers, who Andy and I heard one night coming out. I'm like, oh, are those, are those the actual? Is that the actual band, the Killers? We could definitely right now, get or? the Killers. I'm not worried about yeah, getting the Utah Killers guys, aren't they? <laughs> I, I'm worried about getting Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I I don't I, I don't know if Kendrick Lamar is coming for the all-star game, but I logistically, I, I think it would make a lot of sense um, to host someplace like Salt Lake. And, and obviously the fans here uh, would be all for it. I mean, you know, I, I had another writer who's based in LA kind of make the comment, you know, I feel like you can be in LA this weekend and kind of not remember that the all-star game is going on here for the last couple of days. And, and that would not be true in Salt Lake. It would be around every corner people would be rabid for it and excited about it. Let me ask you this, Kyle. They, the Jazz have bid for the 2022 and 2023 All-Star Games. It's kind of a joint process between those two years. What do you know about that bid itself and, and what how that bid is, is presented and, and kind of where the Jazz are in that process? Yeah, they're, they're wrapping it up. Um, they should be wrapping it up this week okay. um, and then um, submitting it to the league next week. Okay. Um, I've been told there's a... Uh, documentation component where it's just like, hey, here's our hotel rooms. Here's, um, you know, what we the spaces we can commit. Here's, you know, all, all sorts of logistical information about, um, you know, the arena, the venues, um, what what services they can provide, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then there's a, you know, a visual element, um, you know, where, where they're making models and showing what different things might look like um, for an all-star game at that time. I'm sure they're showing them, you know, renovations that are planned to the Salt Lake City Airport, which I think is 
sort of a, a big part of it, um, um, and showing that, you know, Salt Lake can handle the influx of, you know, just people that are going to come in for, for this event. So, um, yeah, they're pretty close to finishing that up. And obviously it's a huge team, involves people from, you know, all kinds of tourism boards. Visit Salt Lake, I've heard, is a big part of it. Um, the the Utah, uh, uh, the, the governor's office, uh, Spencer Cox is involved. Uh, the mayor's office is involved. Um, there's just a lot of people kind of putting a hand in it. And I think that's kind of one of the cool parts of Utah where the community is so small in one sense that everyone can kind of be put in the same room and get it get it rolling all uh, and, and ready. Any idea what the timeline would be for the Jazz to hear back on, on whether or not they got that bid? I'm actually not sure. Um, I'm not sure what the timeline is on that. I, I'm sure they probably hear, um, you know, probably the next few months. And then, Kyle, outside of kind of, you know, the obvious playoff push, push, which is going to be the big story for the Jazz the rest of the way, what's that next big story that you're going to be following as you kind of look forward to what you're going to be writing about? So I can uh, write the about next it. big story of the Jazz? Yeah, well, what's the big story over the last 24 games that's not just the playoff push? Um, you know, I, I think uh, that's a good question. And, and I think, uh, honestly, it has to do, I, I would say a little bit maybe about just the, the chemistry of this room that's kind of developed, because I think there was a certain point in January where you could kind of walk through some games and say, you know, maybe these guys weren't together. And, and it's obviously related to the playoff push, but I, I sense a very strong chemistry in, in the locker room um, that, that has sort of been really added to in the last month or so. And, and I think, you know, Ricky Rubio's in it. I think Joe Ingles was having a tough time maybe for a while, but he's in it, and, and Donovan's obviously in it. And, and Rudy, now that he's healthy, is really in it um, and, and plays a big role in sort of structuring the team's competitive will. So I, I'm kind of interested in knowing a little bit more how that came to be um, in a sense. And I think we do have some pictures in it. I think Donovan is a huge factor. I think Donovan's strived really hard to not just, not just be a good player, but be a respectful rookie, sort of look to everyone for guidance, um, and, he, and he's talked about that. He's talked about, you know, how different players at different times he's really looked to different guys. And I think Donovan was one of those guys in Ricky Rubio's corner when Ricky Rubio wasn't doing well, and now he's doing really well. And, and he has a lot of confidence from his teammates. So I think it's really interesting to kind of, as the season goes on, kind of unspool more about how that's happened. You can find him on Twitter at Kyle Goon. Read him at the Salt Lake Tribune. Kyle, great stuff. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. There he is. Kyle Goon, our old friend. Yeah. I mean, Kyle drove me around All-Star Weekend, so I have to give him credit for that. I am changing, by the way, my, my answer to your question from before the break, my favorite moment. Uh, I had the chance to play chess with Daryl Morey. Oh, really? Yeah. Does he do it like uh, Bobby Fischer, where there's 40 guys lined up, and he, he actually, just goes table to table and a, beats everybody, or what? So that's called a simul, and he actually did do one of those okay. with uh, eight people. I wasn't at that event, oh, Okay. but he tweeted about that event. I replied, and we kind of DM back and forth and, and started playing a game on online. Uh, and on then we chess with to, friends? No, uh, actually, we had chess.com. Oh, but, man. Anyway. You've got multiple chess game I, accounts. I literally have three chess apps for various chess. That's yeah, fantastic. It's bad. 
Uh, but we ended up playing. He he won, although I will say it's close, and we are we are actually evenly ranked uh, among Chess.com players. Uh, and we got a chance to talk to him in person about it a little bit after the game itself. About and, chess? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I could have asked him about you know Trevor. Ariza Is he known and, as a chess guy? Uh, I, I mean, apparently he did it All Star Weekend, and people wanted to play with him. Yeah. So like uh, he has. He's friends with the uh, women's world champion. Uh, Susan Polgar is her name. American? So she is American. Oh, wow. Um, and Did you say world champion? Mm-hmm. Wow. Right? Great. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and so, and, and clearly plays chess to some degree, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if it's in his top five interests because he also, like, wrote a musical. Um, Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey wrote a musical. Fun fact. Uh, and you know, obviously, runs the Houston Rockets, so right. one of his the top five interests, yeah, of the Rockets. So, uh, but it was it was fun to talk to him a little bit, and you know, kind of get the behind the scenes picture of, you know, with the an NBA general manager. Does he use his queen early, or does he leave that? Does he leave that lady back? Leaves it back. That's Leaves her back. That's the right thing to do. Is it? Yeah, because if you use it early, it's going to get attacked from all all sides, and then. You know, your opponent gets to develop. You you lose okay. your queen. It's all bad news. We can we can do chess, chess. City hoops. That's why I don't play chess. I don't have any chess accounts nor Salt apps City on chess my phone. Makes a lot more sense than chess city hoops. I like chess city <laughs> hoops. Just got to move to chess city. Uh, okay, one of the big story we ask uh, Kyle Goon. Oh, I apologize for that. Uh, leaving what our subject matter for? here. Okay. Uh, we asked Kyle Goon what the big story was going to be the second half of the season. One of the questions I'm curious about is is reintroducing Dante Exum into this lineup yeah. because at one point Dante Exum was thought to be the future of this basketball team. Right. When the Jazz drafted him, he was supposed to be Donovan Mitchell. Right. Now, he doesn't have to be anymore, which is really good for Don, Dante Exum because I don't actually think he has that in him. I don't think he has the mentality. I don't know if he has the skill set. Right. But he can still be a really good basketball player, and maybe now that he has a backcourt mate that's not Gordon Hayward, and that's not a knock on Gordon Hayward. I just don't know if that fit was perfect. But if he's got a true two guard now to play with in Donovan Mitchell or a guy who can play point guard that allows, that can do some of the things that Dante can't, maybe him getting back in this roster really helps. Yeah, kind of the ideal version of of Dante and Donovan. Both of those guys can handle the ball. Both of them can shoot it. Both of them can defend. And they become pretty uh, interchangeable in terms of how you use them in lineups, who who defends who. Um, And I I think that gives you a lot of flexibility with with creating your roster. And and so, uh, you know, how... Dante Exum actually performs in NBA contests, and he's only going to get 15 or so games, right? I mean, he's not going to be coming back Friday. I'd be right. shocked. They would have and, announced it already. Yeah, and really, uh, Dennis Lindsay said that he was coming back mid to late March, and so that's that's a pretty wide window. Um, but it does mean that he's going to be limited in, in terms of the number of games that he's going to be able to, to get. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what role he plays, how many minutes he takes from... Royce O'Neal versus Howell Neto versus even maybe Ricky Rubio versus Ricky Rubio. I think that's um, the name to look at. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, I, I don't. He's not taking Donovan Mitchell's minutes. No, I don't know why you would let him take Royce O'Neal's minutes. Right now, the more you get of Royce O'Neal, the better. Would you rather? I guess during this eight game or eleven games, eight games of which Ricky Rubio were healthy, who played better overall, Ricky Rubio or Royce O'Neal? Okay, probably Ricky. Right, probably Ricky. So you know. If Ricky Rubio is a better player than Royce O'Neal, and I, honestly, given the pedigree, I think you probably have to say that he is. Yeah, uh, I, I'd probably have him take Royce O'Neal's minutes. Okay, and and certainly Howell Neto's minutes first. And you know, it's clearly... actually an interesting the way Royce O'Neal is being used might not be the worst way to use Dante Exum. Yeah, 
You're not asking him to be Ricky Rubio where he goes and has to be a dribbler and a finisher at the rim and make wise decisions in the pick and roll and, you know, know whether to operate on the corners or know whether to get the, the roller involved or whether he needs to take his own 15-footer. That just might be too much for Dante's brain right now. Yeah, And that's not that he's not a smart guy. I think he's actually really smart. That's one of the reasons why he got drafted number five overall despite never playing college basketball. But the fact that you can just say, hey, Royce O'Neal catches and shoots or passes and then runs the floor and plays defense. You can probably do that, Dante. Go do that. Yeah. And let's see if you can be better at it than Royce O'Neal is. And I, I agree with that. And I think with, you know, if Ricky Rubio does have a downturn and he plays like he did in December um, and early January, then it's then you take some of his minutes away, right? But I think you have to give Ricky Rubio the chance to to be who he was for the last, you know, eight games or what, 10 games, even 15 games before that, uh, and before you, you start taking away his minutes. I'm curious to see how good of a shooter Donovan, or sorry, Dante Exum will be, mm-hmm. because frankly, what I've seen from him in warmups uh, and the the workouts I've seen hasn't been encouraging from that point of view. Uh, he still doesn't look like a consistent outside or even mid range shooter, and that's that's something that uh, you know honestly is is a Ricky Rubio problem as well. And so I, I, you know, again, that that's a question in terms of fit next to Donovan. A little Dante's bit. always looked to me, and Ricky Ricky Rubio does too. He always looks like a guy that's undergoing a shot reformation. Yeah, like he always looks like a guy who they're working on getting his uh, his shot right. Yeah, and because it's a little bit slow, it's a little bit mechanical. It's very mechanical. It looks like he thinks about how wide his legs are when he's mm-hmm. shooting. He's very boxy. When he shoots it and he's thinking about, I got to keep this in a straight line, belly button to nose. You know, I got to make sure that that ball is going straight up mm-hmm. as opposed to off to the side, which he may have done when he was a younger player and could get away with it because yeah. he could shoot 30% and still score 25 points a game in high school. It didn't matter. I, he's always felt like that. And I wonder if he will ever feel comfortable with it now after a shoulder injury. Because if he can't, I, yeah. that's a big question. Right. And it's that's the hard part, right? Because 15 games is not enough to tell if a guy is a, is a good shooter or not. But the good news is you can re-sign him. I think you're going to get a pretty affordable price. You probably structure it in a smart way where if you, you can get away from it pretty quickly if you have to. Right. And then uh, you hope it works out. I almost wonder if a two- or three-year deal is, is best in this scenario. Absolutely. Two, I mean, if you can get two years with an option is ideal. Right. You would probably go one and one if you had to. And I don't know that, you know, we've talked about the limited cap space that there is in this free agency market. I don't know that there are going to be a ton of teams just excited to spend it on, on Dante Exum, given the risk involved there. Right. I, 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 you know, I think he signs for the mid-level, or at least close to that, certainly. Like eight to $10 million, I think, would be my range I'd target. And here's the risk with Dante Exum. If you're another team, not with the Jazz, and this plays really into the hands of the Utah Jazz with him being a restricted free agent, if there's any shot to woo him away from the Jazz, you have to way overpay him. Right. He's never done anything to show that he's worth overpaying right. at all. Jabari Parker, I would get if a team wants to go say, you know what, we're going to pay $25 million. He dominated college. Right. When he's been on the floor, he can score 20 points a game. He's got crazy athleticism. He's got a great body. He started to show a three-point shot last year. I get why I'm going to overpay him, twenty to give him $25 million, yeah. which is probably seven more than he should get. But if he clicks, it's really worth it. Right. You can't overpay Dante Exum $7 million to get him away from the Jazz because then you're on the hook for a guy for $17 million that might not be able to play. And I wonder if the Jazz would, would match that offer. I think that might be enough for the Jazz to be like, look, we think we have something special here with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. 
we want to keep our salary cap space open in 2019, 2020, and 2021 and, and see just how attractive Donovan Mitchell and, and his friendships with the NBA All-Stars can be in, in getting guys here. I don't know that you're getting a Kawhi Leonard or a Clay Thompson, but I, I think you know in terms of the up-and-coming stars in this league, I think Donovan Mitchell has good relationships with those guys. The Jazz maybe could show a, a track record of winning and, and make a case for that third star to join the Jazz. And and that has a higher ceiling than I think Dante Exum does. Absolutely. I would not take myself out of those that ability to knock on those doors because you just simply don't have enough money just because you're keeping Dante Exum around. What are the odds at this point Dante Exum becomes an all-star? Zero. Yeah. Honestly, like I, I think it's zero to five percent. Yeah. I mean, everyone always has a chance. Victor right. Oladipo made it. Right. Somehow right. Victor Oladipo has rounded himself into an all-star and is good. Uh you just hope he's a good rotation player. But I exactly. And I, I think with that, uh, that cap space, if you will, that that cap space has the, the 25% chance of being an all-star player. And in terms of how we measure success in the NBA, which is kind of championships or bust, contention or bust, getting that all-star guy is so critical to to the future of the Utah Jazz. It's also interesting the Jazz and we're just in kind of a weird slow part of the season. There's not a lot of games to be talking about. You know right. what I mean? So we're going to kind of think big picture and, yeah. and kind of talk some abstract ideas. When was the last time the Jazz had a lot of money to throw around as a free agent, as a team, as a free agent, you know, to go out and spend on free agents? I know there's this theory that the Jazz can't go out and sign big players. And I understand that. How often have the Jazz in the last decade gone out and really tried to sign big players? Right. Uh, I mean... Kind of last year, but not really because Gordon Hayward right. left and then, they, then there weren't any free agents left. Didn't make any sense. Uh, right. You know, you could have... Danilo Gallinari was off the market. Kyle Lowry was off the Otto market. Porter all these guys gone. that they yeah. went after. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and so that's why they used all, all their space on, you know, Tabo and Ekpe and Jonas. Uh, now, if Paul George or, you know, one of these guys had said, I think I'd like to sign with the Jazz, the Jazz would have found a way to make cap course. space to go out and get that. But I mean, the, the Jazz actually entering the free agent race and saying we're going to see if we can stack our money up against your money and woo a guy. Right. I can't remember the last time the Jazz even found themselves in that position to do it. And in fact, the last time I think they did do it, they signed two All-Stars, which was Carlos Boozer and Mehmet Okur, and they signed him in the same summer. Right. Now, those were lucky. No one thought those guys were going to become All-Stars. You kind of wamboozled the Cavs to get uh, to get Boozer. Mm-hmm. You kind of had a sense that Memo Bamboozled was... Bamboozled is a great word to describe Boozer. what you did with Boozer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but with... Uh, with Memo, you knew he was better than his position he was getting with the Pistons, but he just won a championship as like the seventh man, so you knew he was really good, uh, but you didn't think he'd be an all-star, which he ended up becoming. I just I don't know the last time the Jazz went out and competitively tried to buy somebody new, as opposed to just matching salaries they had, and the last time they did it, they had success. So I don't think it's crazy to think they could go out and sign another potential all-star. Yeah, and, and honestly, I think that cap space has more value. It, like We talk about how the Jazz, it seems like cap space is, is always like the... Uh, there's untapped potential there, and I think fans are tired of hearing that they the Jazz want salary flexibility, right? But think about like two off seasons ago, uh, heck, three off seasons ago when they traded Ennis Cantor. I guess I was at the trade deadline, and then year and a half later signed Joe Johnson. You don't have the salary cap money to sign Joe Johnson if Ennis Cantor is on the roster. If right. you give Ennis Cantor the four years, sixty million dollars that he ended up getting. And this team doesn't win last year's playoff series without Joe Johnson. Certainly not with a three-man center rotation. Jeez, of Derek Favors, Ennis Cantor, yeah. or Ricky, uh, and then Rudy Gobert. Like right. 
So I, I think you have to think about these long-term salaries. And, and if you can have Dante for a year or two, maybe then it's worth it. But in terms of when this Jazz team is really coming together and it's really the the fourth year of Donovan Mitchell's career, the last year he's on his rookie salary, that's when you have this tremendous opportunity to buy a a great team uh that has a a you know what we imagine will be a legitimate all-star in Donovan Mitchell at that point honestly a legitimate all-star in Rudy Gobert and you have the the ability to put guys around him uh and, and you know what you you bring up Joe interesting uh, Joe Ing- Joe Johnson is interesting let that investment pay out now you overpaid Joe Johnson now On he a actually per year basis yeah, yeah but he probably actually kind of earned what he get, he helped you in a playoff series sure. which yeah. you had to do and he did mm-hmm. so Joe Johnson actually was worth every penny but you probably offered him ten million more dollars than anyone else was offering him because you gave him two years twenty million, and no one else may have been willing to give him more than you right. know, one year twelve. Everyone else was giving him the mid level, right? So he was getting three twenty two or whatever that would be. So the Jazz overpaid for him. Sure. But now let's see that money work for you. Let Joe Johnson go and play in Houston. Let Joe Johnson go and play for these teams that are competing and say, I liked Utah. You know, Utah yeah. was a good spot. I took all those guys out the night I got traded. I took them out to dinner because I like that organization. I like Dennis Lindsay. I think you would like Quinn Snyder. I think you would like the schools there. I think you can live there as an older player who doesn't necessarily need the nightlife. As an African-American player, As too, an African-American, absolutely. And and let that investment pay off because that was what the investment the Jazz were making there. Yeah. Now, that was to help you win games, but it was also to get this guy with that type of cachet who's worth $250 million, who's made that in his career— to come and be in Utah, yeah, and now let go, let Joe Johnson and Trevor Booker, even in that sense, go out and just talk about Utah for you, and plant seeds around the 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 NBA that that's not the worst place on earth. I mean, Joe Johnson is like the is one of the the best examples of like a shiny NBA player where he's got like these gigantic trucks and cars and and everything else. And I said it, like, I tweeted it out. He's the coolest looking person I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Bar none. Joe Johnson is. Is cool. He dresses cool. He acts cool. There's a reason his name is Joe Cool. You know, there's a reason that's his nickname. Right. He's legitimately cool in a way that even other hundred millionaires can't be. Right. There's a lot of guys in, in a lot of locker rooms that are worth a hundred million dollars. In fact, Rudy Gobert is, and Rudy's cool. Rudy's a cool guy. He's not as cool as Joe Johnson. Yeah. Uh, completely agreed. And so to have that guy have success in Podunk, Utah, you know, is right. is something that sells. I think. All right. That's going to sound weird saying Joe Johnson's cool. I think you have to be he around is. him to understand what it means. It's not. I'm not trying to be a fanboy of him. It's just the idea that he's just one of those guys. And and here's the thing. Every player in the Jazz locker room thought Joe Johnson was cool. Yeah. Because the way they would try and get his reaction to what they were saying showed that they were looking up to this guy to see if he thought what they were saying was funny. And honestly, there's just the, like this huge group of NBA players that are just in awe of Joe Johnson's ability to get paid and have a sweet life. Right. And that's that's exactly what we're talking about. Like, you can still do that in, in Utah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the second half of the Utah Jazz season. And we've got a question, a good one from Stephen Ronsley. Stick around. We'll answer that, Stephen. That's coming up next. The Salt City Hoop Show, Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, 831. He's Andy Larson, the beat writer for the Utah Jazz at KSL.com. He's also the managing editor of Salt City Hoops, true hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. I'm Ben Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. I'm a contributor at KSL.com. You can tweet your questions at us. Tweet at Andy at Andy B. Larson. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, question coming in before the break. Steven says, are the Jazz in position to start off contracts with Exum and Favors above market value, but decrease over the contract a la Joe Ingles, who makes, what, $12 million this year and finishes under $10 million? Yeah. 
Which um, is a smart contract. Which is smart and nice, and you know, it allows you to move it maybe as Joe Ingles regresses. Although uh, we haven't even seen that expected regression yet. Right. I, I I know he's thirty, but he's act- still improving from twenty-seven to thirty. So that I don't think nice it's deal. crazy to think he's going to be good throughout his contract. No. Uh, at least make that value up, and you know he can catch up to a little bit because of that declining. I would say this: first of all, Stephen, go on SaltCityHoops.com and check out our one of our new features, the 2018 cap calculator. I saw this. This and is crazy. What it allows you to do—that's a is, lot of work. And thanks to Dan Clayton, Adam Back, Ryan Hess, um, these guys coded it together. But what it allows you to do is pick and choose on the Jazz's roster who you want to keep and who you want to trade or uh, release. So. You know, Rudy Gobert, probably want to keep him. Ricky Rubio, probably want to keep him. You know, you go on down the line, and then you have to make some choices with Dante Exum and Howell Neto. Then you have to make some choices about Tabo Cephalosha, Jonas Drebko, Ekpe Udo, and Royce O'Neal. All of those guys are guys that the Jazz actually could waive this offseason and, and get rid of their contracts for free if you wanted to. Right. Not super likely in most of those cases, but, you know, if you have if you want to get a lot of cap space, you ha- you have to make those moves. And then, you know, what do you do with Derek Favors? What do you do with your 2018 draft pick? Do you get maybe another draft pick in a trade? All of this kind of adds up. And so I would say this. I I don't know that the Jazz will have the cap space to get the guys the salaries that they will be competitive, uh, that will be competitive in an open market for Dante Exum and Derek Favors if they do a declining deal like that. Um, with Derek Favors, uh, you you obviously have the ability to do that because they are, uh, because they are bird rights guys. So you don't you don't need that cap space. But in terms of what you kind of put together for 2019, 2020, and 2021, I I think that that matters. And so you know a guy like Derek Favors, whose stated primary interest is to get paid as much as possible. Um, I, I don't know that that declining setup will will work. That being said, like I said, that, that bird rights situation means that you can sign over the cap to get a guy. I, I don't know that you're going to be uh, able to do that and keep everyone if you're if you're really realistic about it. Did trading for Jay Crowder, even though the Jazz didn't trade Derek Favors, kind of you know set the future for the Jazz at power forward or at least set the future of Derek Favors and just saying there's just no way that guy's going to be here next year? I don't think so but it, because I think the bigger threat was Rodney Hood's salary making 15 16 million dollars a year that Jay Crowder is making less than that is only making what is it uh it's 7.3 million dollars is is nice um I I think for example you could keep a Jay Crowder and wave a Jonas Jerebko uh, Jonas is slated to make, let's see what it is. It's 4.2 and, and come up not very different, I guess. I, I don't know that trading for Jay Crowder sealed Derek Favors' fate. It may even have made it more likely that the Jazz keep him. Because um, they didn't get an obvious replacement for him? N- no, but because they didn't, they don't have to spend the money on Rodney Hood. Okay. Um, and, and I think if the Jazz had kept Rodney Hood... That was going to be an indication that they planned on matching most reasonable offers for him this offseason, which are, are more than what Jay Crowder makes. I think Jay Crowder has a chance to be a top four or five rotation player in this Jazz lineup. I, I don't yeah. think that's crazy because he was that in Boston last year. Sure. There was no question. It was it was Isaiah Thomas and it was Al Horford. And then you probably got into the conversation of who was next. You know, who was their next big guy? Was it Avery Bradley? Was it Jay Crowder? Jalen Brown, who was just a rookie at the time? Yeah. 
Jay Crowder's in that conversation. That was a team that that was really good last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's crazy to think Jay Crowder, as he enters his prime, could still be that type of guy with the Utah Jazz. And and that means he's got to get minutes because if he's a top five, four or five guy, Jazz have already shown a willingness to play him thirty minutes a game. I don't think they would avoid that. I agree. I, I don't know that he's a guy that you move other guys or or don't re-sign other guys to give him that time. If that makes sense. Um, certainly you might do that as he earns it, but I don't see him as like having the kind of the high level potential that you would definitely get rid of Derek favor. So you can play Jay Crowder. It's not like an Ennis Cantor, Rudy Gobert situation, right? It's not a, even a Donovan Mitchell, Rodney hood situation where Jay Crowder is just because his athleticism is limited. I think his potential is a little bit limited. Too. So to answer your question, Stephen, yeah. I don't think the jazz re-signed Derek favors. And I think you're right. I think he wants the most money possible. I don't think that means starting him out one year and then grow, going down. In fact, I think if that's the case, he'll go the Contavious Caldwell Pope route, sign a one-year deal with whoever's going to give him the most money, and then go into the free agent offseason again next year where teams are positioning themselves to have money because Kawhi Leonard's there, because Klay Thompson's there, and because there's only, what, four or five of those guys, and 15 teams are going to try and have money to spend, and 10 of them will still be willing to spend money when they don't get that guy. And maybe Derek Favors benefits from that and makes $13 million next season. Yeah, that would be a big bet on himself and with a guy who has had you know recent injury history. But I, I could see him deciding to do that if those offers aren't there, if he does you know only get the mid-level from a team. And then in regards to Dante Exum, I don't know if he's going to sign a contract long enough for it to really matter how much his contract right. is decreasing. Because you can only decrease it by, I think it's 5%. It's either 5 or 8%. Right. So Which like, over four years is significant. Over one year, It man. doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Yeah. Two years, man. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I'm with you. That's Your points were way better than mine. You can tweet at us, at Andy B. Larson. That's rare, so I appreciate you saying that. And at Ben's Hoops, we want to hear from you. Uh, I asked a question today. I wrote at KSL.com, and my yep. question was, it's not, well, maybe it wasn't a question. Maybe the entire article is that it's not, it's it's not a question anymore. It's a statement. Okay. It's no longer a question of whether or not Donovan Mitchell will become a star. It's how quickly does he become a star. What do you define as a star? Because in my, can you already argue he is one? I, I don't, he's really close. Okay. And I'm talking top 30 player in the NBA. Okay. It's probably what I mean by a star. Now, that means going to an all-star game. Gordon Hayward last year became an all, a star mm-hmm. in the NBA. I don't know if he was before that. He was really yeah. good. He wasn't a star. And I think it does mean all the things that come with it. It means recognition. It means cachet. It means going to all-star games. It means you know being a, a guy who every night you go out on the floor and you say, this guy is a headache. This guy's a nightmare. And I can't believe we have to play this guy again because that's he's already the number one guy that the Jazz scout. Sure. I'm not sure if he's striking fear into a ton of teams right now. I think that's going to change really quickly. My question is, how soon is that? Is it beginning of next year? Do we expect Donovan Mitchell to come back and not be thinking about the Rising Stars Challenge, but to be thinking about putting together an all-star campaign? I think so, right? Like, I, I think next year is, if he's only thinking about Rising Stars, heck, I know Donovan better than that. He's not only thinking Rising Stars. I, I think he does want to expand his game, and I think he does want to use this offseason to try to make himself better. Um, I mean, I'll say this. I, I don't think he's a, a top 30 player now. I think you'd be hard-pressed hard pressed to argue that um i i, I think you, if he adds some things and really becomes the kind of efficient player that he thinks he can be uh his teammates want him to be Quinn Snyder wants him to be Johnny Bryant want him wants him to be uh then yeah he can absolutely kind of make that leap next year and, and be kind of put a, put together the production that matches the point totals if that makes sense like in some ways 
and he, he's certainly he's been better at this. Uh, he's clearly improved throughout the season. No question. And so if you take just his December, January, and February together, maybe you can make that case that he's a top 30 player. Uh, but if he continues to improve on that trajectory, then yeah, I think it happens next season. So I'm looking at the list of guys, and this was part of the reason I wrote the article last night, of rookie season players who scored 19 points a game or more. And I bet Donovan Mitchell crosses the 20-point threshold I agree. by the end of the year. Uh, let me go over the last 22 guys to do it. And this is a lot. This is a long name. But tell me when there's a guy who wasn't a star. Okay. Donovan Mitchell's doing it now. He's the only rookie doing it right now. Joel Embiid. Star. Damian Lillard. Star. Blake Griffin. Star. Okay, Tyreek Evans is not a star. But he's a good player. And he's maybe the outlier. He's the guy, He had a 25-5 and five season his rookie year. The only other rookie who had done that is LeBron James. I mean, uh, right. it's what he did his rookie season, which was his best season, is incredible. Uh but yeah, it, I think it's a good reminder that it's not assured success. But okay, that's the one name. You're right. That's the outlier. Okay. Kevin Durant. Yeah. Carmelo. Yeah. LeBron. Yeah. Elton Brand. People forget how good Elton Brand was before his shoulder surgery. That's a good point. Tim Duncan. Obviously. Van Horn. Okay, Van Horn was was the guy who probably should have been an all-star, but injuries also derailed his career. Yeah, and also I, I think kind of had clear like athleticism limits, right? Like uh, you can Donovan Mitchell doesn't have that problem. Allen Iverson, Damon Stoudemire, Jerry Stackhouse. Okay, David Stoudemire was not a, a star, but he was really a very good player for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse, star, averaged 30 points a game one year. Grant Hill would have been yeah. LeBron. Glenn oh. Robinson, he's the outlier, the high scoring, but it was very good. But Big Dog just never became a superstar. Right. Jamal Mashburn, very good. Wanted to be in yeah, every team in the NBA, wanted him. Shaq, Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson. David Robinson. All right, so let's... Okay, those are the guys who have done it since 1990. Let's talk about the guards on that list. I, I, like, you know, because Jamal Mashburn, for example. I, I, I don't know that I'd learn anything about Donovan Mitchell's okay. future. Um, I don't know that I learned anything about his future through Shaq. Um, what? <laughs> just... Sure. Right. So, guard, six, guard failures on that list are Tyreek Evans... Damon Stoudemire, kind of. I mean, was, again, a good player, but not... If Donovan only becomes Damon Stoudemire, I think it's fair to be disappointed. So the guys who have done it since 1990 that are considered guards, Grant Hill, Jerry Stackhouse, who ended much bigger, Damon Stoudemire, Allen Iverson, LeBron, who's bigger, Kevin, who's bigger, Durant, I should say, Tyreek Evans, Damian Lillard, now Donovan Mitchell. Okay. That's like a 90% success rate of star. Yeah. He's going to be a star. Donovan Mitchell is going to be a star. And the nice thing is half of those guys are top 10 players in the league right? at their time. Uh, Damian Lillard's borderline top 10 player, probably top 15, definitely top 25. Yeah. Uh, Tyreek Evans never got there. Kevin Durant, top three. LeBron, top three. Allen Iverson at one point was top three. Damon Stoudemire was probably top 40 at his best. Jerry Stackhouse was easily top 30 at his best, and Grant Hill was top 10. Half of those guys are top 10 players because they came to the league as legit scorers. It's really, really rare what you're seeing Donovan Mitchell do right now. I know you can say he takes a lot of shots. His true shooting percentage, though, kind of pans out that it's worth it for him to be taking as many yeah. shots as he is. The Jazz might have something ridiculously special in Donovan Mitchell, and then they've already got this guy in Rudy Gobert next to him who's already ridiculously special. The Jazz conversation to reach these absurd heights that they haven't had since Stockton and Malone were here aren't unreasonable by the end of Rudy Gobert's contract. No, and and I think that's that's really exciting. We we were talking about it uh, a couple of years ago on this show when Don Taxon was drafted. He was kind of the Jazz's moonshot 
that could make them into a special team. Like the the variance in terms of what the Jazz could do, that potential was really coming from Dante Exum. Now it's coming from Donovan Mitchell, and it looks a lot more likely. That you know, it just makes the Jazz the future of the Jazz so much more successful. And honestly, we've we've seen this. In the last 11 games, what this Jazz team can be a little bit. The Jazz have played some excellent competition yep. in this stretch and come out on top. I, I, I don't know that we've emphasized that enough in terms of what this Jazz team can, can put together. Now, like, yeah, the Warriors weren't trying that hard that game, but the Raptors were yeah. in Toronto, right. and you won that game. I, I, like, I, I've been very, very impressed with, with what they've been able to do. I'll also say that list of guards that I, that have scored 20 points a game or 19 points a game or more as rookies, the guys who haven't panned out as true superstars that aren't Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers, are Jerry Stackhouse and Damon Stoudemire. And both of them have, have uh, when they were on the floor, Stoudemire certainly matured a lot. They had immaturity issues in the NBA. Stackhouse still has them. Allen Iverson had them as well and was still a top three player in the league. You know, right. as long as you have the right personality, which no question Donovan Mitchell has, if you can score like that, you can dominate the league. And that's what I think players have shown in his similar position. Yep. All right, we're going to have one more segment. You got questions, get them in now at Andy B. Larson, at Ben's Hoops. We'll talk more about the Jazz final 24 games of the season. Coming up next, Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, the home of the Utes. Salt City Hoop Show, ESPN 700, 850. Andy, did you go to the club while you were in Los Angeles? No. You did not go to the club. You no didn't place. go to the Beats by Dre party that was going on. No, I was not invited. That's an invite-only thing. You yeah. can't just walk into the Migos concert and see what's going on. <laughs> I think that yeah, the, yes, you cannot. Uh, too bad. There are like other open club parties that you can go to, and actually, the the word I heard was there were so many of them happening all at the same time that like the the bottom eighty percent all were just empty because oversaturation. Right. Um. But I'm not like a club guy. Let's be real. Uh, yeah, and I, that's what I was going to say. And uh, this isn't me having sour grapes because I wasn't invited to the All-Star game like you and so many of our great friends were. But uh, NBA media is really good to have in small groups yeah. to go to dinner with and goof around with. Oh. And even then, it's a little bit dorky oh, and a yeah. little bit elitist. And you know, it's not exactly like, hey, let's all go cut loose at the club and have fun and relax. It's not that generally the people who work in NBA media aren't that type of person. Right. And, and I, I mean, maybe especially the writers and, and the radio guys, which are kind of, sure. you know, the ones I know. Right. TV people, are, I think, are different. Probably more so. Um, right. But like, yeah, in, in terms of what I was what I was doing, um, it was at the media hospitality, which was great. They gave us free food. They gave us free drinks and like pasta bar, taco bar, the whole thing, everything you could ever want. Um, and some taco good company bar, too, right? Like See, that's why you don't want to go out and party with a bunch of uh, NBA writers because because they're, they're excited, excited about, about a taco. The taco bar. But honestly, right? Like it's a nice taco bar spread. I'm in. Uh, Chess and and getting to t- okay. and taco bar and taco yeah, bars. I, I am with you. I, that sounds nice. I'm old. I'm an old person now. I'm with you. Okay. Uh, and I'm now I'm offended at the implication that I'm an old person. But no, but you uh, you kind of act I, like I an old person. Old soul. Yeah. Anyway, bad thing. But like talking to Kevin Pelton and Zach Harper and and uh, Tim Bontemps and Sam Amick for a little bit, and I mean, kind of these these guys around the league, Adi Joseph. I mean, all these guys um, are national NBA writers, yeah. and so they have cool opinions and and knowledge about what's going on that that could change what happens in this free agency period. And you know, you kind of get an opportunity to to nerd out a little bit, and, and I, I I think that's fun. 
Uh, you can tweet at us. You got some last minute questions. We'd love to hear from you at Andy B. Larson at Ben's Hoops on Twitter is the best way to get in touch with us. I, I think, I think the Jazz have really found a way to make this one of the more interesting seasons they've had in a while. Yeah, last season was fascinating because they were good, but they were so up against the clock, right? Uh, that it was almost hard to enjoy it. And Kurt Cragthorpe at the Salt Lake Tribune wrote a really interesting article that says, what makes this team so likable mm. right now? Because a lot of fans like this team more than they liked last year's team. Yeah. And I think the number one thing, other than, hey, Donovan Mitchell's fun, the reason Donovan Mitchell's fun is because there's no time limit on Donovan Mitchell. Right. And it doesn't feel that way with Rudy Gobert either because he's in the first year of his four-year deal. This, there's no clock for this team. This window feel like it's, it feels like it's just opening. It doesn't feel like we even have any idea how wide it's going to get and then how long it'll stay open like that. You don't even have to think about it. And there are players and, and executives with the Jazz who have told me that Gordon Hayward's expiring contract last year just changed the feeling around the team within the team itself, right? Like, I think there was a level of the Jazz feeling they had to sell themselves to Gordon Hayward Absolutely. at every opportunity. And so that was... Uh, Gordon being a little bit protected in terms of like media scrums and in terms of how much practice he had to do. I think he was very focused on his one-on-one work with with Johnny Bryant rather than uh, you know kind of the five-on-five work with everybody else. Which is not the worst thing. I, I don't no. mind a guy who wants to become a star because the Jazz needed a star and he's and, the reason they beat they beat the Clippers in the first round. And clearly it, it worked, right? Like Gordon Hayward's last season was a clear twenty percent better than he had ever been in his career, right? Like. So it, it's hard to blame the guy, but th- clearly he had become the star in some in some bad ways too. You know, yeah. I, I think uh, you know clearly the attention was on him when he walked into the locker room in the playoffs, and and kind of uh, he he did kind of withdraw a little bit with I, I think I think marriage helped with that too in terms of his you know and kids and having having a life outside of basketball. I think he was less interactive with the rest of the locker room. Um, I, I I don't know like how much of a difference that made on the court, but certainly like off the court and in terms of the relationships these guys have, it made a big difference. Yeah. And, and we saw like, for example, when uh, Donovan Mitchell threw up that lob to John Collins in the Rising Stars game, he posted a picture of it on Instagram later. Five different jazz guys all in the starting lineup uh, responded him. to him, yeah. teased him about it, said, right. why aren't you giving me lobs? Right. Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert right. said Good that. Good to why? see you pass. Joe yeah. Ingles, yeah, exactly. Good to see you pass. Uh, Ricky Rubio giving him crap about it. Like that's, right. that's a dynamic that didn't exist on last year's Jazz team. The Jazz would be happy to be paying Gordon Hayward his max contract right now and He'd still have Donovan Mitchell. An incredible fit on this roster. He would fit really, really well. It's not crazy to me to think in four years the Jazz aren't going to be killing themselves for not being able to be paying Gordon Hayward $30 million a season. Yeah, and it obviously depends on how he comes back from this injury. Right. Uh, I kind and of what, assume it'll what, be at 100%. And what the Jazz can bring in in his place. Obviously, if they can never sign a free agent that matters, they will just say, man, if we only had Gordon Hayward, that would have been the guy. That would have been the difference. I don't think it's crazy to think that because of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and the front office that the Jazz have set up with Quinn Snyder and Dennis Lindsay, that they might be able to spend that $35 million that they were going to be paying him in a very wise manner that doesn't make them miss Gordon Hayward. Yeah, I'm I'm curious if, if that guy becomes available, right? Like, that guy doesn't come available very often, and you have right. to kind of nail it in, in a James Harden sort of way. If that guy becomes available, though, the Jazz are really well poised to to, to jump on it.
Big thanks to Jenny Lynn for producing the show today. Big thanks to Andy Larson having me on the Salt City Hoop Show. As always, he's Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. It's the Salt City Hoop Show. ESPN 700.